BLM activist named Bostonian of the Year, whose nonprofit raised $1 million, is charged with squandering much of it on rent arrears, $1,200 hotel stay, and meals at Bubba Gump Shrimp Co. Well, I mean, come on, Bubba Gump Shrimp's awesome. And Shake Shack, also awesome, after being arrested at her $450,000 home. So this is um, a BLM activist who was praised and celebrated as this great leader, now being charged along with her husband on an 18-count indictment with wire fraud, conspiracy, and making false statements to a mortgage lending business. When I first read this story, I said, you know, let's be real. I mean, is this, is this legitimate? Is this BLM activist actually doing things wrong? Because I want to I I tell you about something. Somebody who's got a nonprofit and brings in donations, they're allowed to go to Bubblegum Shrimp. I mean, I don't think it's moral necessarily, but if you have a business and as part of your business, you go out to eat at fancy restaurants, okay. Suppose the issue arises when you're more of a nonprofit, but big nonprofits do this all the time. So I saw this and I'm like, are they singling out this BLM lady? Because I got to tell you, man, big nonprofits do way worse. Don't give them the benefit of the doubt. This lady was just transferring money to her bank account. That's right. A BLM activist indicted on fraud charges. Am I at all, at all surprised? Now, I'm a proponent of innocent until proven guilty because that's one of the strengths of our country. So I want to see some evidence, right? You can't just come out and say she did these things. And that's why I'm like, even though I don't, I'm not a fan of these people who incite riots, uh, of who, who burn down cities and cause damage and all that stuff, I still think the state must prove beyond a reasonable doubt. They say both have made more than $100,000 in pandemic-related unemployment benefits, while Ken and Grant also made 33426 in diversity consulting fees, which he's getting unemployment benefits related to the pandemic, but also bringing in donations. So we got questions. We got questions. I look forward to seeing the state prove their case. Radio Zeitgeist. And last year we celebrated the 50th anniversary of the Truman Doctrine and the Marshall Plan. Also more ominously, last July 26th, was the 50th anniversary of the National Security Act that without any national debate or the people's consent replaced the old American Republic with a national security state very much in the global empire business, which explains what... First, let us get into the time machine. It is the Ides of August, 1945. Germany and Japan have surrendered, and some 13 million Americans are headed home to enjoy, well, the bottom line was always being alive. Home turned out to be a sort of fairground where fireworks go off and the band plays Don't Sit Under the Apple Tree and an endlessly enticing funhouse flings open its doors and we file through. We enjoy halls of mirrors where everyone is comically distorted, ride through all the various tunnels of love and take scary tours of horror chambers where skeletons and cobwebs and bats brush past us. And suitably chilled and thrilled, we're ready for the exit in everyday life. But, to the consternation of some, and the apparent indifference of the rest, 
we were never really allowed to leave the fun house. It has become a permanent part of our world, as were those goblins sitting under the apple tree. Officially, the United States was at peace. Much of Europe and most of Japan were in ruins, often literally, certainly economically. We alone had all our cities and a sort of booming economy, sort of, because it depended on war production. And there was, as far as anyone can tell, no war in the offing. Briefly, the arts flourished. It looked like it was going to be a golden age. Glass Menagerie was staged. Copeland's Appalachian Spring was played. A film called The Lost Weekend, not a bad title for what we'd gone through, won an Academy Award in the as yet unexiled Richard Wright, published a much admired work, Black Boy. While Edmund Wilson's Memoirs of Hecate County was banned for obscenity in parts of the country, though it would be allowed out today in Washington, D.C. Quaintly, each city had at least three or four daily newspapers, while New York, as befitted the world's capital, had 17 newspapers. But a novelty television had begun to appear in household after household. Its cold, gray, distorting eye relentlessly projecting a fun house view of the world. Those who followed the ugly new minted word media began to note that often while watching television we kept fading in and out of a chamber of horrors. Our ally in the recent war, Uncle Joe Stalin, as the accidental President Harry S. Truman called him, was growing horns and fangs that dripped blood. On Earth, we were the only great unruined power with atomic weapons, yet we were somehow at terrible risk. Why? How? The trouble appeared to be over Germany, which on February 11th, 1945, had been split at the Yalta summit meeting into four zones, American, Soviet, British, and French. As the Russians had done the most fighting and suffered the greatest losses, it was agreed that they should have an early crack at reparations from Germany to the extent of $20 billion. At a later meeting at Potsdam, the new president, Truman, with Stalin and Churchill, reconfirmed Yalta and opted for the unification of Germany under the four victorious powers. But something had happened between the euphoria of Yalta and the edginess of Potsdam. As the meeting progressed, the atom bomb was tried out successfully in a New Mexico desert. We were now able to incinerate Japan, or the Soviet for that matter, and we no longer needed Russian help to defeat Japan. We started to renege on our agreements with Stalin particularly reparations from Germany. We also quietly shelved the notion, agreed upon at Yalta, of a united Germany under four power control. Our aim now was to unite the three western zones of Germany and integrate them into our Western Europe, restoring in the process Germany's economy, hence fewer reparations. 
Then, as of May 1946, we began to rearm Germany. Stalin went up the wall at this betrayal. The Cold War was on. At home, the media was beginning to prepare the attentive few for disappointment. Suddenly, we were faced with the highest personal income taxes in American history to pay for more and more weapons, among them the world killer hydrogen bomb. Why? Because the Russians were coming. No one knew quite why they were coming or with what. Weren't they still burying 20 million dead? Official explanations for all this made very little sense. But then, as Truman's Secretary of State, Dean Acheson, merrily observed, in the State Department, we used to discuss how much time that mythical average American citizen put in each day listening, reading, and arguing about the world outside his country. It seemed to us that 10 minutes a day would be a high average. So why bore the people? Secret bipartisan government is best for what, after all, is or should be. A society of docile workers, enthusiastic consumers, obedient soldiers who will believe just about anything for at least 10 minutes. The national security state, the NATO alliance, the 40 years Cold War, were all created without the consent, much less the advice of the American people. Of course, there were elections during the crucial time, but Truman Dewey, Eisenhower Stevenson, Kennedy Nixon were of a single mind as to the desirability of inventing first a many-tentacled enemy, communism, the star of the Chamber of Horrors, then to combat so much evil, install a permanent wartime state at home with loyalty oaths, a national peacetime draft, and secret police to keep watch over homegrown traitors as the few enemies of the national security state were known. Your stop for the art of critical thinking in an age of too much information. Tom Friedley at hashtag Radio Zeitgeist, Global Broadcasting Network. The Clusterfuck Nation Zeitcast. James Howard Kunstler's genius, my not-so-cold read this morning for Clusterfuck Nations, I guessed. Shadows within shadows. Be sure to hit uh, would you Jim's Patreon page in mine as well. The regime behind Joe Biden appears to relish the prospect of dragging out this crisis as long as possible, despite the fact that we have about zero national interest in the fate of Ukraine, except perhaps for our fears about the dark secrets that reside there. Amid an all-out campaign of contrived World War III hysteria, our country aims to send about $14 billion in aid to Ukraine post-haste, including more Javelin anti-tank missiles and weapons described as kamikaze drones, posing some thorny questions for curious observers. Jim continues, how do we propose to get those things into Ukraine? Fly the stuff in on USAF C-17 Globemaster transport planes? To what airfield exactly? And with what assurance that they can make delivery without encountering, shall we say, induced mechanical failure before landing? Drive the weapons across the border from Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, Romania, or Moldova? 
Do you not suppose that Russia has satellite surveillance of the limited number of road crossings along that frontier and will be watching for truck convoys? More likely, that dollar number in the weaponry talk are fantasies intended to appropriate the roughly 30% of Americans whom pollsters report are avid for an apocalyptic nuclear showdown with Russia. 30%, by the way, is the estimate by psychologists of any given population susceptible to mass formation psychosis, the transfiguration of anxiety and anomie-driven persons from something like harmless grasshoppers into ravaging human locusts. That group derangement phenomena has been managed artfully by America's National Security Administrative State, not Deep State, Tom Edits, in recent years, starting with the Russia collusion hoax against the alleged monsterdom of Mr. Trump, then shifted to the frenzy around the COVID-19 virus with all its sickening rituals of obedience and submission, and now segued seamlessly to the melodrama of Vladimir Putin cast as King Kong manhandling Fay Ray as personified by Ukraine. Readers assure me that Russia is getting its ass kicked in that sorbeset, yawning expanse of wheat and mud that has been, one way or another, a domain of Russia longer than the USA has been a nation, except the past 30-odd years when it has been a playground for homegrown oligarch looters, U.S. State Department and CIA gangsters, and grift-seeking rogues such as Mr. Hunter R. Biden and the relatives of John Kerry and Nancy Pelosi. America's gift of javelin missiles by former President Trump has reportedly taken a heavy toll on Russian tanks and helicopters, confounding their advance. That is hardly the whole story, Jim writes. The Russians have surrounded the hardiest units of Ukraine's army in the contested Donbass region. These include the alleged neo-Nazi Azov brigades dug in around Luhansk and Donsk for eight years and busy all that time shelling the Russian-speaking population there with American-supplied munitions. Those Azov brigades now face the choice of surrender or annihilation. They have no contact with whatever remains of Ukrainian military command. The regime behind Joe Biden appears to relish the prospect of dragging out this crisis as long as possible, despite the fact that we have about zero national interest in the fate of Ukraine, except perhaps for our fears about the dark secrets that reside there, especially the full story behind those recently discovered Pentagon-run biolabs stuffed with dangerous disease-based science projects. Looks at least suspicious a little bit to the casual observer. What did we have in mind with all that, Jim asks? Is it not bad enough that the human race shares the planet with many opportunistic microorganisms that like to periodically kill off multitudes? Is it a good idea to enhance them, to play lab games with them, and why they're close to Russia's border, and why so many labs? Western civilization has suffered the consequences of that Frankenstein-style science for two-plus years. And is it a coincidence that Joe Biden provoked Russia to invade Ukraine just as the COVID-19 crisis was veering toward the discovery that the touted vaccines are found to disable and kill off large numbers of people in the prime of their lives? The terrible news of all that can't be squelched despite the mainstream media's calculated indifference to it. Between an engineered die-off and a wrecked economy, the Joe Biden government and its National Security Administrative enablers don't have a whole lot to brag about. Only Wednesday at the podium, the president laid down a string of bizarre hypotheticals saying, quote, everybody knows somebody subject to blackmail. That may have been an overstatement about Americans' general state of moral relations. But then, what do you know? 
24 hours later, the New York Times, of all parties, very conspicuously walks back its two-year-old claim that the existence of Hunter Biden's laptop, stuffed with incriminating memos and emails about the Biden family's global bribery and racketeering operations, was a Russian ploy to make then-candidate Joe Biden look bad. Do they mean to say no such Russian ploy happened? And that the 50 former and current U.S. intel officers who signed a letter to that effect were lying? Is damaging info busting to come to the public's attention now? Were both Joe Biden and the Times trying to get ahead of the story? And if, say, Hunter Biden happens to face some federal charges, will they somehow implicate his dad? Or perhaps some other party, Russia or maybe China, has possession of a Hunter Biden laptop. There were more than a few of them loose in the world and may be on the verge of releasing its contents. Maybe wagging the tail of that Ukrainian dog wasn't such a bright idea after all. Tom Friedley for Radio Zeitgeist.